Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We have been, we, this is the last lesson, I believe, on uh, the series that we've been doing on Lord Change My Attitude. Lord Change My Attitude. And I was looking through the lessons and I said, man, why did I have to get these two attitudes because I, I don't know, maybe somebody else will disagree with me, but I think these are the hardest ones to uh, deal with. But first, we're going to start with um, a rebellious attitude. Yeah, fun. So when we think of rebellion, what do we think of, right? We might think of, you know, um, somebody who, you know, a rebel without a cause, maybe like the Fonz or something, some sort of uh, movie or TV or book character. Maybe you think of your kids, or maybe you think of yourself when you were your kid's age. Um, but rebellion has many faces, right? And they aren't really all necessarily equal. Uh, the American Revolution for Independence certainly had elements of rebellion in it. Uh, so did the women's and civil rights movements of the 20th century. There was a, an element of rebellion in that, that you were rebelling against the status quo. And these were obviously good things. So not all rebellion is, is created equally. But when rebellion is against God and his ordained authority structure, the consequences can be devastating. And rebellion is it's pretty simple when it comes to God. It's knowing what God wants us to do and not doing it. It's not that hard. We all, and we all have rebellion in our hearts. We know that because we've all sinned. There are many examples of rebellion in the Bible. We have Saul, Samson, Jonah. There's, the list could go on and on and on and on. Um, but one of the greatest examples, and obviously we've been looking at the book of Numbers in the Bible, one of the greatest examples of rebellion is really just the history of the nation of Israel as a whole. They're constantly in this state of rebelling against God and then asking for repentance and then rebelling against God and just in this constant cycle. But rebellion is a serious matter. It's serious. It's not a small thing because there are serious consequences that come with rebellion, as we'll see and hear in a little bit. And there is no heart that God has a harder time dealing with and changing than a rebellious heart. In Numbers 16, we see one of the first rebellions in the history of the nation of Israel. Moses had, has led the, the nation, the children of Israel, of about two million people from Egypt to the borders of the promised land. Now, this journey really wasn't too far. It was only about 300 miles. It took 16 months, and 12 of those months were really spent camped in one place at the base of, the, of Mount Sinai. So it wasn't really a long journey. But because of their rebellion, uh, this trip went from being 16, a 16-month trip to, for some of them, a lifetime trip, uh, taking 40 years. They were at the border of their destination. And it took an extra 40 years because of rebellion, because rebellion is serious. Number 16 is commonly refer referred to as Korah's Rebellion which some of you are probably familiar with. 
This is because Korah had gathered a group of men together to begin a revolt against Moses and Aaron, who were God's chosen authority. They confronted Moses. They came to him and they said, hey, this is everything we think is wrong with your leadership. And they resented Moses and Aaron because of their positions of prominence among the children of Israel as the leader and priest, respectively. And God responds to Moses and tells him, hey, him and the children of Israel, and we'll dive into this a little bit more later, move away from the rebels. And then Moses responds essentially saying, hey, do you guys want to be priests? Do you want to be me? Do you want to lead these people? Do you think you can do what I can do? And he has them pick up the censors to do, to do the work of their new role. So a censor, for those of you who don't know, and I didn't know before this, really, is a pole with a pan on the end covered by a lid. So I think we can all imagine that in our, in our minds. And it, the priest would use this to scoop coals out of the fire and then bring them into uh, worship in the tabernacle. Or, and they would place different fragrant herbs and spices in the censer, and it would be a fragrant offering to God. And only the priests were allowed to use these censers. This was a test that God had given Moses to clearly indicate who was and who was not in his will. The people who were on the same page as God and who were not. And while all this is happening, the ground opens up. This is obviously a very slim overview, but the ground opens up and swallows the rebels that says right into hell. So those censers fell alive or excuse me, those rebels fell alive down into hell itself. Then the other rebels, who weren't eaten up by the ground, they were burned alive by fire from God. And after all of this happened, I would feel like if this happened to me, if I saw this, I'd be like, all right, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, But all this happened, and the people who watched it, they continued to complain. They blamed Moses and Aaron for the rebellion and for the consequences of the rebellion. And God sent a plague because of their grumblings, because of their complaints, and it killed another 15,000 people. So a lot of people are dying here because, you know, rebellion is serious to God. And these people knew the truth. They had no excuse, but they still chose rebellion. So God chose judgment. Knowledge of God's truth does not mean we are exempt from rebellion. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 15 and 23 that rebellion is as witchcraft. And I don't think, I think most of us, if, if I said, you know, would you, would you do witchcraft? Some of the heinous and nasty and evil things that come with that. Most of us, probably all of us would say, I would never do that, right? But in God's eyes, rebellion the sin of rebellion and the sin of witchcraft are, are equal in his eyes. They're the same, which tells us that rebellion is serious, right? Romans 13 tells us that the powers that be or are ordained of God, okay? So that means the authorities in our life are from God. But what authorities has God established? Well, we have six that I'm going to talk about a little bit just uh, for a second here. Uh, the first is human government, right? We have 
our government in D.C. We have our state government, our local governments. Those are, the Bible tells us, ordained by God. We have church leadership, obviously. Elders, pastors, other recognized church leaders. We have a vast pastoral team here. These are ordained uh, authorities of God. Husbands in the home are the leaders of their family, right? And husbands and wives are the leaders of their children. These are ordained authorities that God has placed in our lives or that positions that maybe God has placed us in over others. Our bosses at work and the people who are over us. And you might be sitting there thinking, you don't know where I work. You don't know the situation I'm in. Um, but that relationship was established by God for a reason, right? Uh, and then the whole criminal justice system, the court system, right? And this can be seen as part of human government, but that was established by God. In fact, our courts are literally the basis of our courts is the Bible. So these are the powers that are ordained by God. And to make a choice to rebel against authority that God himself has established has very very serious consequences. So there are different things you can rebel against, right? You can rebel against God and his word and what he tells us to do. But really what we were going to look at here in number 16 is rebellion against people who God has placed over us in our lives. And there are a few principles we're going to look at. And the first principle is something I've said several times uh, already, and it is that rebellion is serious. God is really serious about rebellion, and that's why I've kind of emphasized it, because this is not, again, this is not a small matter. The second truth is that rebellion, that the Scripture shows us about rebellion, is that rebellion exists in every, every human heart. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 say, Now Korah the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Men of renown. These rebels were not outcasts. They weren't normal troublemakers. They weren't untrained, uneducated people. Because a lot of times we think of rebels and we think, well, they're people on the fringes of society who don't have much going for them. No. The Bible tells us these are men of renown. They were noble men of Israel. So if if men of high status can have rebellion in their heart, anybody can have rebellion in their heart, right? Korah was even a descendant of Levi, the tribe that had been given the responsibility of tabernacle worship. Korah had a significant place in the worship of the nation of Israel. And the people that were involved in the rebellion with him came from nearly every tribe of Israel because rebellion is in the heart of all people. And have we, the question is, have we been guilty of the same attitude that we see here in number 16. And the answer is probably at some point in our life, we've had some sort of issue with a God-ordained authority in our life. Now, I do want to note that rebellion does not mean ignorance. When we don't know something, right, and need to be taught it, that's not rebellion. And it also doesn't mean discouragement. When we're struggling with something and we're fighting against it, when we've, when we've, felt the pain of failure and repent and try again, that is not rebellion. 
Just because you make mistakes, it's, it doesn't mean you are in rebellion. Rebellion is saying, is, is, is saying you won't even though you know you should. It's the attitude of, I know better, but you can't make me do it, right? And I'm sure all of us have had those thoughts at times behind maybe an attitude that we had. And maybe some people in here are like, well, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Those are my intentions right now, right, with some sort of situation in your life. But those who choose rebellion as their lifestyle are going to spend their lifetime in the wilderness. It's a sure thing. Rebellion also goes way back, and it goes really all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve had one rule. One rule they had to follow. And they rebelled against that one rule. So it's not even about, oh, there are so many rules. to No, even when, pe- when people have one rule, they still went against that rule. Because all people have rebellion in their heart. It's from the beginning, and it starts at the beginning. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15 tells us that foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. Foolishness here really means rebelliousness. And this verse is telling us that it is bound into our, our makeup, our build up, building. From the time we are born, we have rebellion in our hearts. And we can probably see that very early in a child's life, right? We don't need, learn rebellion. We're born with rebellion. It comes from within. The third biblical truth about rebellion is that rebellion has many sources, And we're going to take some time here to talk about those sources. Most people don't choose to be in rebellion. You don't wake up in the morning and you're like, well, I'm just going to rebel today most of the time. Um, But where you are, the place that you've chosen to put yourself in, and the people you're around have a lot to do with if you end up in rebellion. Verse 3 tells us that they assembled together. Okay? So this was an intentional conspiracy against the God-ordained leadership of Israel. And when this group confronted Moses, Korah used half-truths to try to prove his point. Verse 3 says, They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to him, You have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exact yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So they said, hey, the whole congregation of Israel is holy. And that was, I mean, it's true. They were set apart from the other nations by God as his chosen people. So on a level, that was true. He said, and they said, and the Lord is in all of our midst. And that's true. God dwells among his people. So God was certainly in the midst. Uh, there was a physical, there was the cloud and the, and the burning fire. There was a visible representation of God in their midst. But then the last part of the statement is just honestly a straight-up lie. They said, why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And while Moses certainly had his weaknesses, self-exaltation was not one of them. Moses had literally done everything he could not to take the job that he had. So he was not trying to self-promote. And so Korah and his group of rebels were just, just lying. They were confusing equality with sameness. See, we're all equal in God's eyes. He sees a value in all of us, but we're not all the same. You as a worker are equal with your boss as a human being, but you're not the same. You don't have the same responsibilities. Wives are equal with their husbands, but they're not the same, right? Students 
are equal with their teachers, but they're not the same. They're not, they're, it's not the same. Sameness and equality are not the same thing. So when we confuse equality with sameness, that is when we are at risk or maybe even already in rebellion. So where did this rebellion come from? What are the sources of the rebellion? Well, there were six sources, and uh, which we can, should see and recognize so that they don't manifest themselves in our lives today. The first source was jealousy. Korah and his co-conspirators wanted to be above or at least at the same level as Moses and his authority. They were jealous of the position that God had put Moses in. They made this clear when they asked him why he exalted himself above the assembly of the Lord. The second source was delusion. This rebellion asked Moses why he exalted himself, and the first thing he did was fall on his face before them. Now, falling on your face is not a position of exaltation. It's a position of humility. And this humility showed that Korah and his followers were really delusional in their view and their thought of what Moses was or what he was doing. Moses responded with the challenge of the censors. He said, here now, you sons of Levi. Basically, he was saying, hey, I put in the time to be here. I didn't just become the leader of this nation of two million people. And where were you when God was preparing me for this position of leadership? When I was in the wilderness, when I was... um, going up against Pharaoh, when I was doing all these things, where were you? You don't want the preparation, but you want the position, is kind of what he was saying. People in positions of authority or leadership only got there through a long process of work, energy, brokenness, failure, trying over and over again. It doesn't just happen. You don't just arrive in a position of authority. If you want authority, but you haven't gone through the process to gain it, you probably have an issue with seeing yourself, not seeing yourself clearly. If you think you should be in a position of authority, of authority, but you haven't gone through that process. And you might be struggling with delusion yourself. And that can be a root of rebellion. The third source is ungratefulness. Moses responded in verse 9 saying, Is it not enough for you that God, the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation. Korah was serving in the tabernacle. He had a job as one of the special separated ministers for God, but he wasn't grateful to serve as a Levite. He thought he didn't, he thought he didn't have a big enough role in the nation of Israel. He wasn't really getting to do what he wanted to do. And Moses continues, and he says, in that he has brought you near Korah to, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Moses was really asking, is it not enough for you to be a Levite? Do you want to be a priest too? If, you are, if we're in a position of authority, we should never forget that, the, that, first of all, it comes from God. Scripture tells us that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. God is the judge, the one who sets up one person and puts down another. Second, If we are in a position of authority, it came from God, but it came through people. People allow other people to function in positions of authority. Don't ever forget that a position of authority is a trust given by the people in the church or the home 
or maybe at your job, etc. If you start to think you deserve it or if you demand authority, then you have forgotten how you got there. And really, at that point, you're ungrateful, which is a source of rebellion. Another source of rebellion is stubbornness. Stubbornness fuels rebellion. Verse 12 tells us that Moses sent a summons to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. So the leader of this country said, hey, come here, and they said no, right? So they were, I would say, stubborn. Most people would not label themselves as rebellious, but if you're trying to figure out if you have rebellion in your heart tonight, a question you can ask is, am I easy to get along with? Am I agreeable? Is it hard for you to reconcile with people? Is it hard for you to work things out? Are you, are you, a hard, or, are you hard or easy to lead? Are you easy to influence? Do you have a flexible spirit? And you might say, well, my stubbornness is a strength. But stubbornness will take you a long way, but you better bring some food and water because the road of stubbornness leads to the wilderness. I loved that quote when I read it in, that, in the book. Because stubbornness is not going to lead you to where you want to go because it's a, a source of rebellion. The fifth source of rebellion is disappointment, which makes sense. In verse 13, the rebellion says this, Is it not enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? How crazy is that? Because, number one, they were going to a land flowing with milk and honey. And number two, they were slaves in that previous land. They were like, you took us out of this amazing place, and it's like, you were slaves. You literally didn't have time to enjoy that amazing land. You were, had back-breaking work to do all day, every day. But then they continue, to have us die in the wilderness, but you would also lord it over us. Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor have you given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. They are expressing their disappointment here. While this disappointment may be real, it definitely was not right, okay? Maybe you have been disappointed by an authority, or a situation. Be careful, because that disappointment can lead to rebellion if you allow it to. And then the last source of rebellion is distrust. In verse 14, they say, would you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Rebellion says, anyone, or the rebellion said this, anyone who's following you, Moses, is blind, and we won't be blinded with them. They are, they're just yes men. You've duped them. You want us to come up there so you can fool us as well. They had stopped trusting Moses. They stopped trusting in his heart despite his weaknesses. With the trust gone, rebellion was on its way. And rebellion has many consequences. I'm going to try to go through these a little bit more quickly. First consequence is its separation from God's leadership. Uh, verses 19 through 22 tell us, And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, the rebels. Separate yourself, that I may consume them instantly. But they fell on their faces and said, O God, God of the spirits of all flesh, 
When one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? So Moses pleads for mercy, and God gives it to the congregation as a whole, but he does not give it to the rebels. He says, separate them. It was too late for them. Judgment was coming. And like I said, rebellion can cause leadership withdrawal. What causes us to be out from under authority? And this is, I mean, it's a really dangerous place to be. Authority that God has placed in our lives is there for protection. And we'll talk more about that later. From uh, from the outside, and you want to keep that protection in your life. Another consequence of rebellion is that innocent people are injured. Verses 26 through 27 tell us that it wasn't just Dathan and Ibiram that that were swallowed up. It was their spouses, their wives, it was their sons, and it says, and their little ones, their grandchildren. So there were innocent people that were affected by this rebellion. Moments later, the ground opens up and it swallows them all up, all of them. Certainly the grandchildren, I'm sure, were not in a place of rebellion. But because of the rebellion of the authority in their lives, they suffered the consequences as well. The third consequence is that the guilty will be condemned. And verses 28 through 35, I'll try to read it quickly, says, And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord." Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men of Korah with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men who were offering incense. So judgment came quickly and shockingly. Rebellion will always be judged. And then the last consequence of rebellion is that the infection spreads. Hebrews 12 and 15 says, a root of bitterness will defile many people. It spreads rapidly and can infect many people. And verse 41 of number 16 tells us, but on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, you were the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. The rebels died, but the infection lived on. And then the final biblical truth about rebellion is all rebellion is ultimately against God. Verse 11 says, therefore you and your company are gathered together against the Lord. God didn't see the rebellion as something that was against Moses. If God puts a person of authority into your life, and then you reject that authority, he sees it as a rejection of of him, God himself. That's why he takes it so seriously. If God creates the authority, any resistance or rebellion to it is a resistance and a rebellion against God. So what's the solution? to rebellion. 
And the answer is it's an attitude of submission. And again, I feel like the other solutions are much funner to talk about. It's much funner to talk about love than it is to talk about submission. But it is what it is. Submission, when properly understood and applied, replaces the pain and strife of rebellion and greatly increases human happiness. If everyone has rebellion in their heart, which we know they do, that means submission is for everyone as well. And Romans 13 and 1 tells us that every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities established by God. We should all, as the people of God, we are the children of God now, be practicing the principle of submission to God and to the authorities that he has set in our lives. Ephesians 5.21 tells us to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So we should be subject to each other as well in the fear of Christ. And 1 Peter chapter 2 gives us five principles on submission, and we're going to talk about those. Principle one is submission is a duty to God. Verses 13 and 14 of um, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us to submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as in one authority, as one, the one in authority, or to the governors as sent by him. So verse 13 here says, yourselves. The only person who can make you submit is you. And the Bible does not teach forced submission. It is your job to choose to submit. God will not force you to do it. But who do we submit to? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 tells us to submit, like we just read, to every human institution, right? To, to a king as one in authority or to the governors as sent by the king. Verse 17 later on tells us to honor all people. Verse 18 says, servants, be submissive to your masters, which today would translate as uh, employees, be submitted to your bosses. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, he continues on the subject of submission when he says, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And in verse 7, he says, you husbands, in the same way, what way? in the way of submission, live with your wives in an understanding way. Then he sums it all up in chapter 3, verse 8, when he says, All of you be harmonious, th- sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. In other words, be submitted. And looking back at Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We submit not for ourselves and not for the person in authority, but we submit for the Lord's sake. When we submit as God has instructed us to and to who God has instructed us to, then we are building his kingdom. When we look at our bosses, parents, elders, uh, we, don't, we don't see the Lord. We see these imperfect humans, these authorities that have these imperfections, and we use those imperfections sometimes to dismiss ourselves from submitting to them. But we aren't submitting for their sake. We are submitting for the Lord's sake. Principle two is submission is protection by God. 
Verse 14 tells us that governors are sent for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. And then verse 15 continues, for such is the will of God. God's will for us is to display lives of submission, not rebellion against authority. God's will is that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your old elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the, in this context, the proud would be the unsubmissive. If you submit to God's established authority, God is on your team. But if you rebel, he joins the other team. And we can see that in the history of the children of Israel. Since God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, verse 6 continues, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. And you may feel like you're facing unjust and unfair authority in your life. But God says, humble yourself so that he can exalt you. If you try to exalt yourself, he cannot exalt you. And sometimes waiting on God to exalt you is hard. But we need to wait because, again, he will not exalt you if you try to do his job. If you feel it's too hard, well, luckily, there's verse 7 that says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you think it's too hard to submit to an authority in your life, you need to cast those feelings on him. And that brings us to principle three, because you might be thinking, man, this sounds really extreme. And that's true, it is extreme, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have limits. And principle three is submission has limits under God. And you might feel like, man, this is just too radical for me, right? But 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 Peter says, for such is the will of God, that by doing right you will silence the ignorance of foolish men. And he adds, act as free men. See, you are not a stuck in an abusive situation. Submission is not slavery. It's not giving up personal responsibility. When Paul says he is a slave in 1 Corinthians and in Philippians and in Ephesians, he's not talking about being a slave to people or to human institutions. He's talking about being a slave to Christ and Christ alone. Wives are not slaves to their husbands. Employees are not slaves to their employers. Children are not slaves to their parents. We are slaves to Christ and to Christ alone. So if you feel like you are in a situation where an abuse of power is taking place, you do not and don't know if you should try to get out, then you should consider three things. One, the source, you're probably going to have a little bit more grace or um, a little bit more uh, stretch for a spouse over an employer. Two, the severity, is this a passive abuse of power or an aggressive abuse of power? And the frequency, if your boss treats you badly once a month or maybe a couple times a year, then you probably don't need to get out of that situation. But if it's every day or, or weekly, then it might be time to look at what's going on. And we should not use um, an abuse of authority. There's two extremes here. 
One, we should not use an abuse of authority as an excuse to escape commitments when difficulties are not really frequent or severe. At the same time, we should not use submission as an excuse to stay in a situation that is severely and or frequently abusive. The Bible does not show us that you must stay in a situation that is destroying you or destroying others that you love. And if you're trying to get out from under an ungodly and abusive authority, use Christ as an example. 1 Peter 2, verse 21 tells us that we are called to suffer because Christ suffered, leaving us an example to follow in his footsteps. It says that verse 22 tells us that committed that Jesus committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And then verse 23 says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The Bible is showing us that when Christ was ridiculed, when he was in a situation that was an abuse of power and authority, he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously, to God. When Christ was treated harshly and when he was finally crucified, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Christ appealed to the highest authority, the authority of God. And if you have an authority in your life that is falling short, it's time to go to the next level of authority and get them involved. If you have an authority in the home that's abusive, you should go to a church authority, a pastor, or a spiritual authority in your life. If you have a church issue, you should go to, again, your pastor or another spiritual authority. And then if you have a societal issue, now obviously, church issue, we go to our pastor because the Bible tells us not to sue each other. But if we have an issue with people in society, we do have the courts to go to. That is the authority that God has set up for us. And so if you feel like you're in a situation where there's an abuse of power or an abuse of authority, it's time to go to the next level of authority to see, okay, what do I need to do about this? See, God desires wise, proactive submission, not slavery or ignorance from us. But if we are struggling with issues of submission, we should take a long and honest look at the situation before we label the situation as abusive, an abusive situation, because the problem might just be us. Principle four is submission is favor from God. Those who submit to the authority that God has put in their life find favor with God. So 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 18 through 20 tells us, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and gentle, but also, also to those who are unreasonable. Hmm. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. In a nutshell, Most of us are going to face someone or a situation where we have an authority who is unreasonable at some point in our life. But if we bear up under unjust suffering, we receive favor from God, just like Christ did. Because he received the most unjust suffering. If the problem is our fault, however, God wants and expects us to stop committing sin. But there is a factor with God when we endure for the right reasons. 
And principle five is submission is intimacy with God. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. What steps? The steps of suffering. The steps of submitting to ungodly authority and finding God's favor through it. Suffering is not incompatible with biblical Christianity. Rather, it is a requirement of it. Christ suffered more than we could ever imagine suffering. And when we suffer, we can relate to that. He is drawn to us when we suffer because he can relate to that. It brings us closer to him. It creates an intimacy between us and him. Verse 23 through 20, verses 23 through 25 tells us that while being reviled, and we read these before, but he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. If we have returned to the shepherd of our souls, then we must follow in his footsteps. And to follow in his footsteps means to embrace suffering. And embracing suffering is not easy. It's a challenge for us most of the time. But if we can submit to it, knowing that there is a God who loves us and watches us, then it will create that intimacy with God. And when we do, God will pour out his favor on our lives. This means we must submit even when we don't see God's actions on our behalf. Even when submission brings heartache and suffering in our lives. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to be used by God, you must be submitted to all of the authority in your life. And God will not use you if you are not submitted. So now it's app time. And I've got two questions. I, um, the first is, what was a situation in your life that you did, not, did or did not submit against authority? And what was the result? And then the second is, is there authority in your life right now that you are resisting? And if I am, am I ready to submit to that authority if I'm resisting it? Hopefully you, we can uh, look at this and not just talk about application to our life tonight, but really apply this to our life. I know that 
there were a few times I was reading, and I was like, I don't want to read this right now. I'm like, probably need it. That's what that means. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.